kind of get us going this morning. Um, I've I've done a lot of talking about uh, about my grandparents and about how the influence that they've kind of had on my life, and I want to share uh, maybe a little dirt about my family. Is that good? This is, no, hopefully this will be therapy for everyone. Dirt. You know what that is, right? This is the inside scoop on the on the Zook clan. Um, well, whenever I was really young, I, I did spend a lot of time with my grandparents, and one of the things that I've talked about my grandmother a lot, but one of the things that I had the opportunity to do is spend a lot of time with my uh, grandfather also. And like my grandpa was like, he was an early hero of mine. My grandpa was a veteran of World War II. He won a Purple Heart, not because he skinned his knee, but because he took a bullet. And that's pretty cool in my book. And if you live to tell about it, that's even better, you know. So he was kind of a hero, and he was a paratrooper during World War II. And I remember vividly that I would take time, and I, I would... I would go and I would sit on his, on his lap and he was a police officer and he had guns and all these things that little boys like just, just love to talk about and kind of dream about. But I remember vividly going and sitting on my grandpa's lap and I would do this for hours and hours and hours and I remember sitting on his lap and he would just tell me stories about, about either his upbringing or the early days of when my grandmother and grandfather got together and they got married really young. She was, she was very young. And I remember sitting down and, and having all these discussions. Man, I just, when I was young, I just really wanted to soak up what he was saying. I just wanted to sit there and be like, was just, it was just like Disney for me. I mean, my mind, it was just, this imagination would just unfold as he would tell me these stories and the events and, and what he did during World War II. And like I said, he was a great hero of mine. And I remember as, as we would sit there and... You know, I'm kind of a, a rowdy guy still, and I was re- really rowdy then, and this is where the dirt is, all right? Now everybody's perking up when I say this. We would, there's this thing within our family that my grandpa still slightly holds a grudge because in the time that I would go sit on his lap and we would kind of spend time and talking, we used to wrestle a little bit. So one of the events of, of a little wrestling session was, and I got full blame for this, and I have no idea why, okay? To this day, I still have a black eye in the family for this. But I would sit on his lap, and we'd wrestle around a little bit. And I remember, or excuse me, they, they remind me, rather, of this time that I did like a good reverse headbutt on my grandpa, right? What could not be good about this? A good reverse headbutt onto like his chest, and I was the one blamed for knocking loose the gallstone that sent him to the hospital later that day. I didn't do anything. I didn't put the gallstone there. I was doing him a favor, but my family says that, that I'm the one to blame. And I, really, they, they do blame me, and Grandpa says, yeah, you're the only granny who knocked a gallstone loose. I'm like, well, it wasn't my fault. I did you a favor, Gramps. Come on. But I remember of all those times sitting on my Grandpa's lap, and, and I was just, when I was really young, and I would sit there so intently and and, and he had like a, not a full-blown rocking chair. It was a little bit more comfortable than that. But I would sit there and he would tell me stories. And, you know, it was, it was around those days when you're a little boy. And little boys, when I grew up, we had kind of like, you know, the cowboy, cowboy hats and little holsters and guns and bows and arrows and all those fun things that boys do. And he would tell me all these stories. And then we would go and I would try and live out some of those stories that he's telling me. But then something happened. The older I got, and, and the more I aged, the more I thought I was maturing, the farther I went in my life, the less I listened. But then also, because the less I listened, the less he said to me. And then I went through this time called adolescence, right, which is a black eye in every one of our lives. 
And I went through this, this time of adolescence where I instinctively thought I had it all figured out. So instead of going there and sitting and listening to Grandpa and asking him questions about life and going through and say, well, how did you get through this? How did you get through that? What was this like for you? I stopped asking questions. And consequently, he stopped giving me answers. And I went for several years. I, I literally went for over 10 years where I wasn't asking questions anymore. It's because I kind of thought I had it figured out. And then it wasn't until I became a father and a husband that I decided to go back. Grandpa's aged some more. He doesn't get around as much, so it's a lot easier to track him down. And now I would pull up a chair next to him and I'd say, Grandpa, I want to hear some of those stories again. What was it like when you guys first got married? Because in, in his day and age, and him being a World War II veteran, you know the, the age that he represents. And because of the situation at the time, he would basically work all week and then come home on the weekends. So I said, how did you guys get through that? And at this time, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in the Navy, or, and then after the Navy, and all of these things. And then I'm like, how did you do that? That is so, I, I don't even know how you do that. And he said, you know what? I never gave up on your grandmother. And I can tell you, it wasn't easy, but she never gave up on him. But you see, I had to go through that cycle to learn a valuable lesson. And I think it's a lesson that maybe I want to introduce to you today. Early on in my life, early on in my life, I was asking a lot of questions. Then I got to a point where I was comfortable. I, I thought, you know, I was starting to pick up on some things, and I thought I had some of these answers down. And I stopped asking questions to him. But then it wasn't really until I gained a little bit in age and experience, and then I went back to him and started asking questions again. I think some of us have done the same thing with our faith. Like early in our faith, when we've maybe, we've received Christ, and we've just, I mean, the Holy Spirit has just unveiled these incredible things to us, and we're thinking thoughts, and we're having experiences that we've never had before, and maybe we have somebody that's with us and help us to decipher what is it that, that I'm experiencing, what is this that I'm feeling, what, what is this, where do I go, what, what should I do? But then, the more that we progress in our faith, the more that we start to think that we know this book, or maybe that we have church figured out, or maybe we, have, we think we have other Christians figured out, and what do we do? We stop asking questions. We stop asking questions. And I think, I want to share a scripture with you. I think that we need to make a declaration starting today. A declaration starting today, taken from this scripture, not where you are right now. This, uh, this scripture is from Psalm 71. This was inspired in my individual reading of the Psalms. I've been kind of going through the Psalms over the last couple months. And this is, this is a little passage for me that just exploded in my mind and my heart. And I, and I think it was for this day. And this is what the psalmist wrote. He says, since my youth, O God, you have taught me. And to this day, I declare, everybody say declare. I declare your marvelous deeds. He says, you know what, since I was young, I, Lord, I know the things that you've done. I know the, the walk that you've put me on. I know the things that I'm starting to get, have a grasp on. And he says, I'm making this declaration. I'm declaring on this day. I love this next part. This verse 18. He says, even when I'm old and gray... Do not forsake me, O God, till I do what? Tell me, church. Declare your power to the next generation, your might to all 
or who to come. See, this is, this is just captivating to me because this is a psalmist who's saying, you know what, since my early days of walking around, Lord, I've had this exposure with you. I'm starting to learn things about you. But I know that there's something so much more compelling about this life that needs to be passed on to someone else. It needs to be passed on to someone else. We need to ask questions of other people. And we also, if you've been in the Word, and you're, say you, you would, and I realize this takes a level of humility, but if you'd consider yourself a, a maturing Christian, right? There's no such thing as a mature Christian because we're all, we're all maturing. It's a process. It's called sanctification. That's the, the $5 biblical word for that. But the thing is, we're all in this process of maturing. So if you're like a newer Christian and you're trying to figure this, these things out, this is what I want you to get from today. If you... If you would, and if you'd be bold enough to say, starting today, I want to make a declaration of discipleship. Say that with me. Declaration of discipleship. Which means, if you are a maturing Christian, that means, and maybe you've been in the Word for a while, you've had some life experience, you've been in the Word, you've studied the Bible, you know your doctrine, and, and, and sound, you have sound teaching, that kind of thing, then you need to look for other people to pour into. But then also, the other side of that, is say if you're, you would say, you know what, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a mature Christian, and I'm, I'm, there's a lot of things that I need to know. What I would want you to do is I would want you to make a declaration of discipleship and say, you know what, I want to find somebody else who is willing to invest in me. And it requires asking questions. What would this church be like if we were to do this? What would our community look like if we did this? If we made a, just made this decision amongst ourselves and just said, you know what, I don't know what other churches are doing, I don't know what my neighbors are doing, but I know what I want to do. I want to make this declaration of discipleship because I know there are a lot of things that I need to learn. And yet, consequently, consequently rather, that maybe there's some things that I've gone through that somebody else can learn as well. I've heard it said that the measure of a true disciple is someone who will disciple other people. Have you discipled anyone? Have you discipled anyone? Or are you just like, just like a, the pool that people just keep pouring into and yet you're not a channel of blessing with the information and the things that you have learned or gained influence from? See, this scripture this morning very much corresponds. These are some of the pastoral epistles. First um, Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. We're going to be in Second Timothy and Titus. We're going to be in 2 Timothy 1. You're already there because you're amazing. And then in a few moments, we're going to be in Titus 2. It's probably only a couple pages over, so you don't need to worry about flipping there right now. I want to give you a little bit of background about this book specifically. This is kind of the end of the road for Paul. He's the author of this book. And he's writing to the gentleman of which... The book is named Timothy. And he's writing to young Timothy. Young Timothy is a pastor of the church in Ephesus. Paul is more of a, he's the maturing Christian. He's kind of been in the Word for a while. Their personalities are drastically different. We'll talk about that in a moment. But they're different fellows. But one thing that Paul is doing is, he says, you know what? I want this, the gospel, I want gospel-centered preaching, teaching in churches to live beyond me. Paul was instrumental in teaching many of the, in, rather, in starting many of these churches. But it wasn't about Paul, was it? It was about this thing that's called the resurrection of Christ that had these people in just a movement, just, just 
this spontaneous movement of people responding to the grace of God as the Holy Spirit is engulfing these people and that they are just so impacted by what they're experiencing. And Paul was one of these individuals. And he says, you know what? I know that this gospel message is bigger than me. So this is kind of where we jump in. Young Timothy, pastor of a church in, in Ephesus, and Paul, as much the church planner, been around. As a matter of fact, Timothy and Paul had been on a couple of missionary journeys. They're kind of documented in the book of Acts. If um, you've read through the book of Acts, the second and third missionary journey is what they had gone on. What we like to do around DBC is I'm going to read um, the main passage um, completely all the way through to verse 12, and then we're going to go back through and take it apart. That's what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, this is letting us know who it's written to. He says, to Timothy, my dear son. We'll get to that in a minute. That's important. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God who I serve as my forefathers did. With a clear conscience, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am personally, or and I am persuaded, and now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but, of, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because, listen to this, read it if you have your Bible, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death, amen, and brought us life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, Paul says, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him to that day. You see, Paul and Timothy are drastically different people. Timothy, this is, this is one of the few sections in Scripture that you'll see, um, that Lois and, and, and Enos, his, his mother and grandmother, they have played an influential part on their son and grandson, respectively. It's believed that Timothy did not have a believing father. We see no evidence of that in the rest of the Scripture. He didn't have a believing father, but one of the things that, that they did was they were pouring into him. You know what? If you're the only person that you're pouring into other people in your family, I want to encourage you, keep the charge moving. You're making a difference. It's, you're making a difference. But they are completely different people and one of the things that, that Paul is doing is, he, yes, he is doing this. This is gospel-centered preaching and teaching and encouragement. And he's saying, Timothy, keep going. Keep going. 
They're completely different people. But one of the things that Paul is so willing to do is invest. He is willing to invest into Timothy. And he goes through in verse 2. I, I had asked you to pay attention to this earlier. To Timothy, my dear son. This isn't his biological son. This is his son in the faith. He's considering him a, a son. They're completely different. They're different in age. They're different in experience. They're different in personality type. Paul is a very brash fellow. He's very brash. He was, before his conversion of Acts 9, he was one who, was one who would persecute Christians. He was one of, of, one of the higher officials in the Jewish council. We know this from the rest of the scripture and his writings. This is Paul. He was an individual. He's very brash. And Timothy, we see in, in the scripture, we'll mention that from verse 7 once again, but he was kind of timid. His personality wasn't as, as, as a, much of a go-getter as Paul's. They're completely different. But one of the things that he says is, he says, for us, I want to begin something anew in you. And I, I know that to begin is to invest. I know that to begin is to invest. Us as a church, we've been kind of talking about our strategy. And this is the kind of the pinnacle. This is, it's all come down to this. And the last part of this is to begin something anew in someone else. Maybe to begin different ventures in other places. To think beyond ourselves. All of this is centered on the gospel. And this, that we should be compelled as a church and, and as, as individuals to live our life, not in, in conjunction to the things that we like, but to be compelled by the gospel to go into places for the gospel, to further the gospel. Sometimes it means that we're uncomfortable, as we'll see here in a couple moments. But Paul is willing to invest in Timothy. He said he considers him as a son. If you would, go through, and we'll, we'll go through uh, verse 1 through 5 again. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, my dear son in the faith. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, he says, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. When's the last time you prayed for someone who's a different generation than you? When's the last time you've done that? When's the last time you've prayed some, for somebody who doesn't have the same likes as you? When's the last time you've actually thought about something who, uh, thought about somebody who's different than you? I'll continue. He says in verse 4, he says, Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. He says, you know what? I remember the last time we saw each other. And, he, and he's, he's bringing Timothy in and he says, you know what? I remember your tears. He says, I'm, I'm emotionally connected to you and I know that you're emotionally connected to me. And I want to invest in you, not just because I believe in you, Timothy, but because we have this thing that compels us to live differently. It's this thing called the gospel. And he says, I know that you're a young pastor, and I know that this is just kind of an upstart church in Ephesus, and it hasn't been going very long, and it's not really rocking and rolling yet, but he says that Paul speaks to Timothy, and he says, you know what? I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you so much that I'm emotionally invested into you. I mean, I'm, I'm connected to you. I remember the tears you had on your face. 
This isn't some, some teacher-student relationship. This is more a father and son. And he says, you know what? I remember those tears when we left, Timothy. And he says, and I just, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. He says, I'm, I'm reminded of your faith. You didn't have all the answers. You had just started your walk as a Christian leader. But he says, I want you to know that I'm still pouring into you. This is at the end of Paul's life, mind you. This is at the end of his life. His last letter. And he says, I, I, you know what? This, this may be the end of the road for me, but it's not the end of the road for the message. It's not the end of the road for the message. I've had several people and recently asked me, well, well, Pastor, why, why, does, why is the inside of the church the way that it is? Why do you, do you have these things like you do on the stage? Why is the stage here? Why is the curtain black? Why do you have the, all this stuff? And one of the things is, and I, I just I want to make this clear publicly, one of the reasons why that we did that, we knew we had to financially invest in this building to make sure that for generations to come that they would feel welcome in this place that they would feel welcome when they come in, that they see, wow, this is a space that I belong in. Not that they're awed by, wow, that looks really cool. That's really besides the point. We want people to feel, everybody to feel welcome as a guest in God's house. Because this isn't our house, is it? This church isn't about us. It's about the gospel. It's for the sake of the gospel that we do what we do. It's for the sake of the gospel that we sing the songs that we do. It's for the sake of the gospel that I bring the message that I bring today. But the reason why that we do the things as a church that we do is because we knew that we had to, to personally, emotionally, and financially invest in this place so that others would feel welcome here like we do. I know that a, a few weeks ago, which I've gotten over the bitterness of this, it's been a process for me, but um, I know that the ladies had like a little ladies getaway Anyone go on the ladies' getaway? It was it was amazing. Everybody that went liked it. And you went to the beach, and I think that we need to go to the mountains, men. Right? Everybody say men. Say mountains. Wow, that was that was deep. Um, yeah, that. And I, I remember one of the discussions because Marlo's. Marla and I would share all the content in which I was really jazzed up and I was absolutely blown away at the things that, that God gave to her. But one of the questions that was asked was this, and it was asked specifically of the ladies, but I ask you, it, no matter where you are in, in, in your life as a Christian, has there been anyone who's really invested in you? Has there been anyone who has invested in you has, has there been anyone in your life who you would sit and say, you know what, they saw potential in me before I saw potential in me? I had my, my mentor, as far as in the pastorate, is somebody who, who kind of asked me I was serving, and, and he kind of asked me, he said, Chad, I want you to consider, I want you to consider um, coming and, and taking the servant leadership position at the church. And he asked me to be a deacon at the church, and I was like, whoa, pastor, no, 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 no. Yeah, I'm not the guy. I don't think so. And he's like, you know what? I do think so. And I've seen you serve, and I see how you lead your family. And I think you're. I think that that if other people would agree by by that's what they did in, in voting and that kind of thing. He says, and I think other people will confirm my leadership in this and things that I've noted. And what what happened at that moment was, I said yes, 
Other people said yes. I became a deacon. And basically what he did at that moment was he says, you know what? I am going, I'm going to begin again in you. I'm going to pour in you. I'm going to invest in you. I want, to do, I want the Lord to do a work in you and to, to flourish and begin this spirit of leadership in you. And one of the things that he did, and he would, he would talk to us, and he was very strategic in going through books with us and helping me as a leader and helping me as a man. But one of the things, as I kind of charted my course through that leadership, he started to notice other things in me. I didn't see those things, but he saw those in me. After the Lord started to do a work and He kind of prompted my heart that that I was going to be in ministry, that was the person who said, you know what? I want to invest in you a little bit more. And I want you to invest in me. And He says, I want you to to consider coming on full-time and being a staff member at the church that I'm going to pastor. By that moment, I already knew that it was the right idea. But you know what? It took willingness on His part to say, hey, I'm willing to invest in you. And it took, for me, it took an investment on my part to say, you know what, let's do this thing together. It took a declaration of discipleship. And to this day, I still call him. A little bit harder to reach. He's a busy guy. Uh, he, you know, he pastors a church and they have a school and all these other things. But if there's, if there's anything that I need, he's one phone call away and I know it. Has there been anyone who's invested in you like that? I mean, maybe it was even in a subtle way. And I would say, if you, don't have, if you don't have someone that just sparked in your mind as soon as I said that, you, you really need to make that declaration today. You need to look around because the person who, who will likely be the one investing in you, if, if you were to make that declaration, maybe in this room today. He believed in me. I was reminded also of some friends of mine right here at this church. And this is one of the, see, what, what I don't want to do is, I, I don't want to paint the picture that it's just a matter of age, because it's not. It's a matter of spiritual maturity. Just because you're older doesn't mean you're spiritually mature. Everybody say amen. That is true. That doesn't necessarily mean that. It means maybe you've been through a little bit more life experience, but it doesn't mean you're more mature as a Christian. In this situation, it speaks of both. And I had, uh, I have two of these friends, one of which is the younger, he was the maturing Christian, and the older of my friends was the person who was not a follower of Christ yet. And the younger person decided, see the the reciprocal side of this, you know, mentoring up in age, in generation, he says, you know what, I, I want to, I want to share Christ with you, the younger sharing Christ with the older, and now they have, in essence, without saying these words, they have made a declaration of discipleship, and now the younger teaches the older Seems out of sorts, doesn't it? But the younger teaches the older, and he says, you know what? I want to walk through this thing called the Christian life together. Still happening today. They're in this room today. And that means a lot to me, because it's not a matter of age. One of the things and a danger that we have to have as a church is to think that age... Is re- and this really, I do believe this is, is a ploy from Satan, that age is basically a thing that divides churches. Churches should be united by the gospel, not divided by age, not divided by culture, not divided by your likes and dislikes, and well, I like this music, and I don't like this music, and I like this kind of thing, and I like this kind of thing. None of those things are matter because all of those things are not necessarily things that are bent on forwarding the gospel. Because the church, we are supposed to be united around the gospel. 
And I think that Satan uses age of individuals and in saying, you know what? They're older than me. I'm not going to ask them any more questions because I think that I've started to figure it out. Just kind of like me with my grandfather. But I want this church to be different. I want us to be different. I want us to have this transparency with one another to say, you know what? I'm not too old to learn something. And that even means if, if somebody's older, asking somebody younger questions, just like my friends here at our church. To ask them, say, you know what? Maybe there's something I can learn. Maybe, there, maybe, there's, there, maybe I don't have this thing all figured out. Hold your place in 2 Timothy and go over in your Bible to the book of Titus, please. And we're going to be in Titus 2. Going to verse 8. Verse 1 through verse 8. This is what the word says. Paul is, again, he's uh, mentoring Titus, a pastor of of a church, again. And this is what he says to Titus. He says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, and to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Okay, we read the scripture together. Who is doing the teaching? Is this the trained pastor professional? No. These are everyday, normal Christians saying, I'm making a declaration of discipleship with someone else. The younger teaching the older the ways. They're a little bit wiser. Maybe they're, and it's just seeing something in them and saying, you know what? I want to help you through this process. I want to encourage you through this process. But it's the older teaching the younger as far as ladies and men. And I love how the scripture and and especially this scripture, I mean, just it's so plain and easy to see. It doesn't even really need much unpacking. I mean, it's, it's very easy to see. He says, you must teach, and he starts this out, he says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine, with sound precepts, with sound biblical principles. He says, keep the word of God, the word of God. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it. This is the basis of your life. He says, in doing so, this is how older men, older women, younger men, younger women, this is how you're going to flesh it out. Rely on each other. Don't rely on the professional. Don't look for a co-worker, a non-believing co-worker, to teach you the ways of the world, the ways that you're supposed to live if they're an unbeliever. He says, you need to, as a Christian, lean on what? Other Christians. And that as a Christian, we need to seek out other Christians. Okay, you, you're, you're maybe a little bit farther in the Word than I am. How would, how would you handle this situation? What does the Word of God say about this situation? 
I, I just want to kind of, okay, everybody's going to be relaxed when I say this, and I'm looking forward to it, and so are you. We're all broken. No one's perfect. I don't care if somebody comes up on this stage. No one's perfect. We all have something to learn from someone else, irregardless of age. Irregardless of age. And wouldn't it be incredible if we were to actually do what the Word of God says right here? That spells it out so plainly that the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and endurance. That the older women would be reverent in every way that live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. That they would train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one malign, so that no one malign the word of God. That's the focal point of that. And he says, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them, set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching. Set the example. Second takeaway from today is this. To begin is to encourage and inspire. To begin is to encourage and inspire. If you would go back to 2 Timothy. We're going to go and just talk about verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And he's talking to Timothy as a young pastor and leader, and he says, I just want you to know that I want to encourage you and inspire you to do something. They've walked together. They've had these missionary journeys together. Paul has shown them the example of Christian living. And he says, I want to fan into flame the ember that is in you. I've I've started and now this, this ember of leadership is in you. You're supposed to do more than just have an ember. That ember is supposed to start into a fire. And it's supposed to have, in essence, like a forest fire of influence around you. He says, I want to fan into flame what was put into you a long time ago. He's encouraging him. He's saying, Timothy... I want you to know that I believe in you. I'm counting on you. The church loves you. You have a work to do. It's called this thing called the gospel and it is so much bigger than you and it's bigger than me and it's bigger than Dublin Bible Church and it's bigger than any band and it's bigger than any one pastor. And he says, it's this thing that we've so, we've changed our life because this event in time called the resurrection of Jesus. And he says, and it's compelling us to live life differently he says, I, I, want to, I want to fan that flame of leadership that I've put in you. He says, when, when I, I laid hands on you and he anointed him as a leader. And he says, I, I want to fan into flame what was put into you a long time ago. I want to encourage you. I want to inspire you. I had a friend of mine. We, we text, not every Sunday, but, but a lot of Sundays we'll text back and forth. He pastors a church in Minnesota. And he sent me a text last Sunday, and he said, it, 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 I'm not going to give you the full length of the text, but the key line that he said in there is he says, you inspire me. And I'm thinking, I inspire you? I mean, I, I didn't think that I even had the capability of doing such a thing, of inspiring him. But you see, he believes in me because we started, we started this, this deep fellowship several years ago in the very first small group that I was ever a part of. And we were walking together as brothers in Christ. We didn't have all the answers. But we, we started and we kind of huddled together in this men's small group. It started at, at five men and then went down to four men. And we, we decided that we were going to make this time. Every Saturday morning we were going to get together as a partnership in the gospel. And the Lord started to do a work in, in all of us in that group. 
as we started to pour into, into one another and trying to dig into the Word of God with one another. And that group is now several years removed. I mean, this was over 10 years ago. And now several years removed. And now he's still sending me a text and he says, you inspire me. That's like a, that's like a, a Paul and Timothy moment. I'm actually older than him. I'm much more wise than him. I hope he listens to this. He might. But I'm a little bit older than him. But you know what? He encouraged me and he says, you know what? I believe in you. I'm proud of you. I'm I'm inspired by you. Fan that flame of leadership that God put in you so many years ago. I don't know who in here this morning, I mean, I I guarantee you there's there's a a long-term Christian in here that you're you're ember. You've never even had a fire of faith, but you've just had an ember. And it's just, you can't lose your salvation, but it's just an ember. And it just seems like it's just getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And I want to just tell you that as your brother in Christ and as your pastor and as a friend, as somebody who loves you, I want to encourage you and try to inspire you to fan that flame of influence on other people. Make that declaration of discipleship and say, you know what? I don't have it all figured out. But I know that if I work in conjunction and and I partner with somebody else, maybe it will sharpen both of us. Maybe. Just maybe. I want to tell you about the reason why we're doing the thing called Starting Point, which I mentioned earlier. We noticed at the church that we have a lot of uh, new folks coming to the church and kind of coming in, and they have a lot of questions. This is a great opportunity. If you have questions about the church, what we believe, what we do, where we serve, all of those things... I would implore you to come back next Sunday evening, um, dinner time, and just come back to maybe have some of those questions answered. But this is, this is just one step. That's what this is. This is a very simple step. And we just want you to, to feel welcome to come back. And this is a great opportunity avenue for you to ask questions about the church. And I know many of you have questions. So that is an opportunity to do so. Back to our text. Verse 7 says this. I'm wrapping it up. Verse 7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of what, church? Of power and of love and of self-discipline. At this point, he's kind of made the transition. He's called him his son. He says, I'm investing you like you're you're my family, family member. You're my son. You're my son in Christ. And I'm, I'm pouring into you. I'm making this investment, and I think it's worth it. And it moves beyond that. And he says, I want to encourage you and inspire you. I want you to to keep the charge going, Timothy. You're doing a good work. But then he goes through, and you see, listen to me. He knows Timothy. He's close enough where he knows Timothy. And he cuts cuts down. And and sometimes, sometimes we need this. And he challenges Timothy, and he says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of love and of power and of self-discipline. See, he knows Timothy. He knows of his weakness. And he says, I want you to know something. I'm not just going to fan that flame of leadership. He says, you need to be bold, Timothy. You need to stand up for what you believe in, Timothy. Yes, I know. And we see later in the text that I read that there's persecution in the church, and the persecution is widespread. And he says, the Lord did not give you a spirit of timidity, You do not need to live in a spirit of fear. You need to be bold in your power. You need to be bold in your love. And you need to be bold 
in every aspect of your life. But I have to be honest with you, this, this connects to me because American Christianity, we don't even have to be bold. We don't have to be. Did anyone like, did anyone like have to ride in the back of a pickup truck with a little, a little tarp over them this morning, right? So you wouldn't be seen driving in here. Anyone have to do that? No one did. You can come and go to church as much as you want. And for us, I think we've, we've kind of lost some of the essence and the urgency that we see in the gospel. The urgency is, you know what? People need Jesus. People need churches like Dublin Bible Church that's saying, you know what? I'm willing to invest in the next generation. I'm willing to pour into the next generation because the gospel is so much bigger than me. And just like Paul is telling young Timothy, he says, you know what, I know your weakness, I know you're a little bit timid. Maybe he hasn't had that strong male influence, that leadership in him, and Paul's trying to play catch up in his leadership and his skills, and he's trying to inspire him to be the man of God that he's supposed to be. And if you look at this, it says, but God did not give us a spirit of timidity, Timothy. He didn't do it. But it's a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. You see, sometimes, and this is, this, uh, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, sometimes as a Christian, we need to be patted on the back and saying, you know what, it's going to be okay. And then other times as a Christian, we need to be kicked in the pants and say, get going. We need to. But there's a place for both. And you can do so, both of those, in loving ways. And Paul is, in essence, doing this to Timothy. He says, I'm calling it for what it is. You're living in fear, you're leading in fear, you're doing things in fear. He says, where's God in that? Because the same God who put you in leadership put me in leadership. I know where personalities are different. I'm investing in you. I'm pouring into you. I'm encouraging you. I'm inspiring you. But I want you to know that the gospel is bigger than you and I. And the gospel is for us not to live in a spirit of fear, but a spirit of what? Of power. The Holy Spirit's power. And of love. And of self-discipline. So many times we play it safe. We play it safe because we don't face persecution. And we just kind of come into this place and we just kind of leave this place. And maybe at the time of day right now you're starting to think about lunch, you know, and you're like, man, I wish Chad would just get done. I mean, it was good for a minute, but that was like 20 minutes ago. We've, I'm dying here. But we get to this place and, and then it stops being about the gospel and it starts being about us and as soon as it starts being about us it starts getting away from the gospel because the gospel is bigger than you and it's bigger than I it's bigger than Timothy it's bigger than Paul and it takes a church that just says you know what I'm going to make this declaration of discipleship I'm going to make this declaration of discipleship that I want to create a place like Dublin Bible Church that says, you know what? I want to create this space where people feel like they belong. Where people, as they would come into this place, that it's a welcoming environment for the next generation. To say, you know what? And I just want you to know that when oh, we're going to create a place, we're going to invest in you, and I want you to come into this place. I want you to feel welcome, the next generation. Because the gospel is bigger than me, and it's bigger than you, and I want us to always be a church that is willing to reach to the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation. That means it'll look different than it was when it was our generation. And that's okay. But then also, 
That it's a space that says, you know what, I want you to belong, but really a deeper thing than just belonging is, I want you to know that I want this to be a place where you can become more like Christ. I want you to become more like Christ. I want you to to know that this is the place, this is a Christ-centered atmosphere. You're not trying to be like Dublin Bible Church. You're not trying to be like your pastor. You're not trying to be like a band member. You're trying to be like Christ. This isn't about us. And he says, and even, even another level than that, he says, I want you to know that this is a church that has already decided ahead of time that we're going to think beyond ourselves. That it isn't about us. It's about other, other areas. Maybe another community that hasn't, that they don't have churches like ours. That we need to think beyond ourselves and say, you know what? Maybe we need to begin again a new church in a different city because that church is dying on the vine. They don't have a a relevant gospel-centered church in a community. And maybe Dublin Bible Church, maybe in God's vision for us is to ask the question, what is it that we could do as a church to further the gospel in a neighboring city? Instead of just counting on everybody coming here, maybe we could pour into another church and think beyond ourselves. But maybe there's even the level we've talked about today where maybe we just kind of need to get to the place where we have to say, you know what? It's time to begin again. It's time to begin a new venture. It's time to, to seek out someone that we can pour into as individuals. They say, you know what? I want to, I've been discipled for a while and and the measure of a true disciple is someone that disciples someone else and it says, you know what, starting today I want to make this declaration of discipleship that now I'm going to take maybe some life experience, maybe the doctrine that I've learned, but I'm going to say, you know what, I don't have it all figured out, but I've got a couple things figured out and now I can begin developing you and discipling you. And I believe, I believe that if we were to do this as a church, that our community would be impacted, that Dublin maybe wouldn't be as divided as what it is. I think maybe Lawrence County could be a place of influence where the neighboring counties and say, wow, there is an incredible work going on in that county. What are they doing? And maybe, just maybe, if we're to do what we're supposed to do and take what we learn into our workplace and into our families, into our extended families, maybe... Lawrence County, Dublin, maybe Dublin Bible Church could be a place of incredible influence for those around us. Not that we could tutor on horn, but we can say, by the grace of God, we do what we do. And because it's the gospel of Christ that compels us to live the way that we live. And I think if we do that, and we keep Jesus centered, not us, but we keep Jesus centered on all our activities, I think we can make a difference. I think your family will be made whole. I think your workplace won't be as bad as it maybe is right now. Because I think that God has put something in each and every one of us to pour into someone else. But we have to make a declaration of discipleship. I'm going to pray. And you know what? I'm going to pray and and you're going to be dismissed. But I just want you to know, if, if I've asked some questions that you don't have answers to, maybe, maybe yourself, you said, you know what, I don't really feel like anyone has really invested in me. Um, maybe you may need to just make that declaration today and ask somebody, say, hey, could we meet for coffee like 
once a month, once every two weeks, just kind of start the process. Maybe, could we do like a little Bible study? It don't need to be anything real intense, but maybe do a little Bible study. Maybe we just need to lower the wall and maybe meet in the middle and really talk to each other as a church beyond this setting. You know, that's why we have small groups. That's why we do what we do in small groups is to give opportunities for folks to sit down around coffee tables or on couches and in chairs to kind of see how to live out the very thing that I teach. Let's pray. Father, you are holy and we strive to be holy. You are righteous and we are only made right through you. You are gracious and we are so desperate for the grace that you give. And you love us unconditionally You see things in us that we could not see in ourselves. I ask and I I pray right now, Lord, that you would fill in all of our weaknesses. Help us in areas that we fail. And I ask specifically, if there's someone in this room and says, you know what, I'm not talking to anyone, I pray that you would just break down that wall. Because the gospel compels us to. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than a church. It's bigger than a building. And we just want to rally our life around your mission to forward your gospel. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for your love, your goodness, that grace, and the mercy that we so desperately need. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.